All right, here we go. We're going to continue in Acts, 20th chapter. And we left off at verse 12 with uh, the encouragement of the resurrection of Eutychus, the young man who fell out the window. So let me open in prayer and we'll begin where we left off. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for these brothers and sisters, for this building, this place to meet, to gather, to worship. I pray that you'll bring your people in full today with anticipation in the heart to be ministered to by your spirit, by way of your word, and to minister to your name in song and praise and edification to one another. We pray these things. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, verse 13, I'm just going to read a few of the verses. I'll read down to verse 27, we will cover the, uh, the rest of the chapter. Okay, so this is after uh, Eutychus fell out the window, they took uh, him away alive, they were not a little comforted, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for um, Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged intending himself to go by land. Verse 14, and when he met us at Assus, we took him on board and went to Mytilena, and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might have to ha not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel. We'll stop there, continue on. Now, uh, Paul, he's traveled through Macedonia, down into Greece. Remember, he spent three months there, uh, probably three winter months in Corinth, which we saw back in verses 2 and 3. Uh, he, heads he, head backs, he, he heads back up, rather, where uh, uh, he had been to, to and through Macedonia uh, in the spring. He crosses over to Troas where he preaches all night. Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window. In verse 9, he died, he was raised to life again, and they were not a little comforted. 
So Paul now, in a sense, is on his way home. Okay, we know he's from Tarsus, but Jerusalem, you can, you can understand something of Paul in that that's the place of going home. That's the place where he desired to preach the gospel to his kinsmen. And he wanted to be there by Passover time. Um, and there was, as you recall, a plot against him that was uncovered. And instead of taking a ship, he travels by foot to the upper end of the Aegean Sea. So he changes his plans, um, hoping to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost, which is 50 days, Pentecost 15, 50 days after Passover. Um, and as he would travel, he would come close to Ephesus. Ephesus is a people he dearly loved. The Ephesian church, he dearly loved these people. He poured into these people. He gave his very life to these people. He spent much time there. He spent a lot of energy. And being well aware of his calendar, he realized that if he goes into Ephesus, he'll probably never get out of there again. In other words, people who love him were going to take up his time, and he knows he has to stay on course. So Luke tells us here that he intended to pass by Ephesus. Again, because he knew it would be difficult to peel himself away from these people. So instead of going there, he, he sends um, word and has them come to him. Not the whole church, not every Christian, but the leaders that represent the church in Ephesus, the elders. We don't know how many elders there were. We just know that he uses the plural here. He sends for the elders, um, realizing all along that this would be the last opportunity he would have to speak to these men. Knowing, as the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, um, that he would be arrested, he'd be imprisoned. Um, so understanding in his heart as he does um, that his public ministry to these people in Ephesus was over. Uh, he'd never see their face again. He calls for the elders, and then, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, what, what do you say to these men? How do you say goodbye? What do you talk about, you know, when a change of guard is in motion? And as we followed Paul's life through Acts, do we not see his life changing? Change of course, change of course, constant, continual changes. And we live in a world of change, amen? The iPhone you bought yesterday is already out of date. <laughs> the clothes, you know, my son's into fashion. He buys and sells fashionable things, and he makes, he creates his own stuff. And it's like stuff people bought for winter last year, is, it's out of style. And people who want to stay into style spend hundreds, thousands of dollars to remain in style. Things are always changing, but some of us, as, as much as we may say that we dislike change, we really do like change. Um, we were glad that we arrived here in an automobile this morning, amen, not in a horse and buggy, amen. So we do like change. Um, my grandparents, my dad was the youngest of nine, so his parent he was very um, young compared to his siblings, but my own grandparents didn't have indoor plumbing. We're thankful for that change, amen? Thankful that, you know, you don't have to stumble outside at night to use the facility. So uh, things change. People in the church come and go. 
I don't care what church you go to, how healthy the church is, people have their issues. They come and they go because of their issues, or they come and they go because they have to move on. They have to relocate. Children are born into our families. They grow up and they move out. People die, right? Change. It's change. Change affects every area of life. Change was going to affect um, this group of people. So Paul's concerned about this people. And he summons the leaders to himself in order to prepare them for change. That's what he's doing. That's what we see. So this section of Acts is known as Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. It has three parts. Number one, we see Paul's personal testimony before the Ephesian elders. Secondly, is his charge to them. It's a very specific charge. And then thirdly, we we hear his prayer. On their behalf. Verse 13. But going ahead to the ship. We set sail for Assos. Intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged. Intending himself to go by land. Now here. Luke records two things without any explanation. Number one. Paul sent his companions ahead of him. All that group of men. That we read about last time. He arranges for them to travel by sea. And he goes by land. No explanation. Don't ask me why. Verse 14. And when he met us, okay, remember Luke is writing. We see we and us now. Luke has been traveling with them again. He's with them again. When he had been obviously at Philippi for some time without them. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and we went to uh, Mytilena. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched to Samos. And the same day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost now eventually this this ship sailed uh, eventually as they they took off they would they would sail by day and anchor out by night obviously apparently and there's a Scottish a Scottish archaeologist a New Testament scholar by the name of Sir William Mitchell Ramsey who writes this with reference to that. Quote, the reason for stopping and going daily. He says, the reason lies in the wind. During the Aegean summer, it generally blows from the north, beginning at a very early hour in the morning. Then in the late afternoon, it dies away, and at sunset, there is a dead calm. So that makes sense. Sail by day, anchor by night. Verse 14, Paul's taken on board, and we see he's calling the shots. Paul's calling the shots. He sails on south. He passes Ephesus because he's in a hurry to get Jerusalem by Pentecost. We see that in verse 16. Uh, But he puts in at Miletus about 20 miles south of Ephesus, sends for the elders of the church in Ephesus. He's in a hurry. We know this to get to Jerusalem. He's in a boat well out to sea. He seems to be in charge of the itinerary. Um, And he decides to sail past Ephesus, orders the captain to navigate into the Miletus Harbor, sends messengers some 20 miles, some 20 miles back to Ephesus, waits for the elders of the church, 
So he can say to them what we read in verses 17 to 35. So there we are. So this is an opportunity not only to, to gather together with these elders, it's also a chance for Paul, the loving apostle, to say goodbye. And what do you say? Well, we see it here. And the fact that Paul goes to much trouble here um, to give this message to the elders of the church, this is a great blessing for us. This is a great example to us. I, I think we see how important being on the lookout for false teachers is to Paul. I mean, we're going to hear about it again today in Romans, his conclusion, his letter to the Romans. And then... At the end of the letter, we, we see that he, that he weeps, kisses them. They'll never see him again until heaven. So verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, Luke told us way back in chapter 14 that, that Paul's custom, when he would go in, preach the gospel, Christ, by the Spirit of God, would birth the church, he would ordain elders in these churches. The established church, he would ordain elders, he would pour into them, develop them, and then leave them to care for the church. They're called elders or presbyters, verse 17. In verse 28, he refers to them as doing shepherding work. So they're shepherds, presbyters, they take care of the flock of God. In verse 28, he refers to them as overseers sometimes transliterated bishops, bishops, elders, shepherds, overseers, pastor, and Ephesians are all titles that describe the same group of men. Same group of men. A bishop is an elder, an elder is a bishop, an overseer is a pastor, a pastor is an overseer. They direct the affairs of the church. The affairs of the church. They lead the flock. They care for the flock. They cannot live the flock's lives. Amen. They can provide opportunities of fellowship, but they can't make you fellowship. Amen. God has always ministered to His people through leaders that He has anointed and established for those roles. We go back to Moses. After Moses. The torch is handed over to Joshua. We see throughout the history of Israel, kings set into place, some good, some bad. Amen? Some good, some bad. Um, the, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the text of First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, provides instructions, qualifications for leaders of his church. So the head of the church, Jesus has given instructions to those appointed to serve his flock. It's, it's clear. Paul knew this. They're not, ex they're not mere executives who sit in a table and vote on things. <laughs> Amen? They're not successful men from the business world who are brought in to direct the affairs of the church. They may be, some of them may be, but that's not the qualification, success out there. Because their authority is derived by Christ, and they, the elders, will give an account for their ministry. This we know. Their, their authority comes directly from Christ, making them directly accountable to Christ. 
So make it easy for them. Amen? Make it easy for them. Make it a joy. Make it something they they desire, not a burden, which we'll see in a moment. Verse 18. And when they came to him, these elders, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I sent foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he repeats, you know, as it were, what what he had done for three years there in Ephesus with them. That's all, all he's doing there. He was deeply engaged in the work that he was called to do. He loved the people. He ministered to the people. His ministry wasn't about him. It wasn't about building his own reputation. It wasn't about, here it is, getting, getting my name out there. The average stay, I think, for a pastor in America is three and a half or four and a half years. When you see a man who remains at the same pulpit for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, that's rare. That's rare. He wasn't trying to build a ministry empire for himself. His ministry was entirely for the sake of Christ. He says in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord. He describes his tears once in verse 19. Notice, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. And then in verse 31, therefore he says, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Passionately involved. Deeply involved. In ministry it cost him, that's what he's saying. Ministry cost me as I was with you. So he didn't view ministry as a mere profession, Amen. He didn't do this because, well, this is my job. He loved the Lord's church. Man, we should love the Lord's church, amen? I mean, we, the apostle's instruction is really clear. You can say you love Jesus all you want. If you don't love his church, you better question whether or not you love the Lord. They may grieve you. We grieve one, we are we are the church. We may grieve one another, right? We may irritate one another, right? <laughs> but we love the church. See, Paul says he ministered from house to house. He'd been in their homes. He 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 had supper with them, he spent time with them, he broke bread with them, he talked with them, he hugged their kids, right? You see something in this man's ministry. This was his passion. And he was accountable to the general spiritual welfare and vitality of the church in Ephesus. And the church body has a responsibility too, amen? The church body is called to obey their leaders. You have people who are always striving against leadership, strife, trouble. Man, mark those people out, watch out. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping a watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's frightening to some degree. 
Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, not with agony, for that would not be of any advantage to you, the writer of Hebrews says. That is to say there's no advantage for members to be a burden to their leaders. It's that simple. Failure to respect, failure to obey their leadership makes the responsibility a burden, heavy. So, since they're going to give an account, let them do it with joy. How do you do that? Well, hold them up in prayer, number one, amen? Hold your leaders up in prayer. Hold one another up in prayer. Pray for your, your leaders and their leadership and pray for yourself as a follower who will also become a leader of other people. It's reciprocal. You know, Moses carried that, leader, that uh, leadership burden and responsibility. And you remember the people began to speak against him and criticize him. Remember that? Which comes with the territory, unfortunately. But, but to do so, God said, to, to criticize, to speak against Moses, God, was, God said was to speak or criticize me. To speak against me or criticize me. The Lord. Who, is, who appoints the elders of his churches, we go on to read here, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit appoints them. Then he goes on to speak about the cost of ministry in verse 19 and the plot of the Jews against him. All of Paul's ministry, just as well as all of the rest of ministry and anyone who's in it, is engaged in, in I guess, enemy-occupied territory where the, the enemy always wants to divide, to drive wedges between God's people. There's always trial. There's always tribulation. Paul was well aware of that. He, he knew about the plot of the Jews. He knew who was behind the plot of the Jews. The father of lies himself. So he appeals to their memory here. His humiliations, his tears, his testings, hostility of the Jews. And notice, this is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to elders as a fellow elder. This is the apostle. Peter also spoke as a fellow elder, didn't he? First Peter. Chapter 5, he said, he said this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Partaking with the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You know, one of the basic misunderstandings of the church, especially in our day, is that the preaching pastor is the only one to shepherd and to lead. Sometimes people think like that, and that's not so. The preacher, the teacher, the preachers are to focus on preparing, teaching, and equipping the people of God to do what? The work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. He's not to do all the work of the ministry. He's to equip people to do the work of the ministry. We're doing the work of the ministry as we equip the body, amen? And most of the equipping comes through proclamation of the word of God. Showing up, 
proclaiming the truth, living by the power of the Spirit and the grace of God to this truth, not doing things for you, not living your Christian life for you, not providing uh, um, fellowship. I mean, you have to engage, amen? But doing what you should be doing for yourselves as led by the leaders. So in other words, the leaders, the elders' responsibility is to prepare you all to do the work of the ministry. An example, think about this. When a member of the congregation calls on you, you've been sick, okay? You've been sick, not life-threatening, but you've been down. And a member of the flock, they call on you, they visit you, they, they offer to pray with you, to, to comfort you. Consider that caring as a shepherding call. That's a shepherding call. So, you know, Joey's over here, and Joey's sick. And Marcus, who's over here, visits Joey, prays for him, comforts him, encourages him. Perhaps he brings a meal or two that his wife cooked to their, to their home. That pastor has done his job in teaching and leading the flock how to do the work of the ministry perfect example because delegation is a major part of the ministry that's what Paul's doing this is what Paul has done he's taught them he's led them and he wants them to do the same sometimes people will be in the hospital it's not life-threatening maybe they had a ingrown toenail you know fixed so they're there a couple days and uh, 10 people visited them but at the end of those 10 visits, guess what they say sometimes? The pastor didn't visit. The pastor didn't visit me. <laughs> they had 10 people visit them, man, who were properly shepherded, who loved the flock, who poured into them, and instead of rejoicing in the 10 who visited them, who were doing the shepherding work of the church, the pastor didn't visit me. <laughs> Verse 22, Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here, Paul's prophetic eye looks not only to Jerusalem, but also to his hopeful Mission to Rome. And then from there, where did he want to go in passing through? Spain. Whether he made it there or not, no one knows. But that was his anticipation. That's what he anticipated. That's what he desired. And then through manipulation of the Jews, Roman chains would bind him, and he would indeed make it to Rome. Not perhaps the way that he had envisioned, but he would make it to Rome. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's the preacher's job, to declare the whole counsel of God. Paul says, look, your blood, if you don't believe and obey the gospel, your blood is not on my hand. I preach the whole counsel. Having not shrunk from declaring 
the whole counsel of God. When Paul preached, it wasn't about how great of a theologian he was. His primary focus wasn't how great of a preacher or church planter or evangelist that he was. He wasn't about, you know, numbers of converts that were counted under his ministry. The focus of his ministry uh, had been about the purpose and the plans of God according to his word. That was it, the whole council. This is my concern. This is my drive. It's the word of God. So he talks to these elders, and notice now, we see their responsibility is to teach and to preach, as Paul himself was the example. Also, elders are to guard the church. We hear Paul's concern in verse 28. Be careful, pay careful attention, rather. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Notice that. What do you think they were thinking? From among yourselves (laughs) will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples away from following Christ to follow them. So the Holy Spirit in some way that we really don't know, revealed to Paul the dangers under the surface in Ephesus. Lying in wait, perhaps, for his departure. You know, because when the cat's away, as they say, the mice will play. These were little rats somewhere hiding out, waiting for this cat, the Apostle Paul, to leave. So the wolves are out there, he said. They, they want to destroy you. This is probably the most critical role of the elder in our day. The most critical role of the elder in our day is guarding the flock from wolves, from false teaching. Especially uh, because of this, the age in which we live with technology. Because people are always clicking and listening and they're all over the map. They hear this, they they take one part of doctrine, and and that's all they understand of it. And they pound that doctrine, and they hear a guy who pounds that doctrine, and he's teaching another gospel or a false gospel or some false truth, and then they buy into this guy hook, line, and sinker. They don't know the whole counsel. So they have all their favorite little preachers and teachers and websites, and on and on it goes. Uh, But in the end, it's always disastrous when people are led astray. And this is what he fears. Just because someone says Jesus doesn't mean they're on the same path, amen? Sometimes it's necessary to name names, point out teachers, point out ministries, call wolves wolves, and and that's what Paul did. And he says sometimes they wear sheep's clothing from among you, which is the worst. I don't know, I, I don't know if men in this case wanted you know, preeminence for themselves and they were just waiting for the apostles' departure so they could, you know, step up on the block. I don't know. They wanted to be seen as, as a leader, to gather larger crowds, maybe water down the gospel. 
because that will grow crowds, amen? Water it down and they'll come. Perhaps not talking about sin and repentance, but only about a God who loves you. Only about a God who loves you. Never about repenting, never about turning from false ideologies and sinful rebellion, but only about this God of love. So whatever it was, it wasn't the whole gospel. So Paul's point is this to these elders. You cannot adequately care for the flock if they neglect the care in the culture of their own soul. Culturing their own soul, caring for their own soul in the same truth. And if they don't do that for themselves, they can't care for the flock. That's why he says, watch out for yourselves. Watch out for yourselves and the flock. So he says, guard yourselves. That's the first thing you need to do. Watch out for yourselves. Be on guard. Guard your heart. Guard your soul. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. First Timothy, Paul wrote that young pastor in chapter 4, verse 16. First Timothy, he said, keep a close watch on yourself. Watch yourself and watch your teaching. Because you know you're going to be of no use ministering to anyone else if your own life is out of shape, essentially, what he says. You know this, Timothy. You'll be of no use to anybody. If your own life is a mess and you're into some weird doctrine, you'll mislead the people. So watch yourself. Watch what I have taught you. You know, A.W. Tozer, you know who he is, right? wrote a number of books back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And we've studied a couple of his books here for men. He, he said this. <laughs> he said this. He said, quote, do you know who gives me the most trouble? Do you know whom I pray for the most? Me. Me. Just myself. That's the one that gives me the most trouble. <laughs> End quote. Amen. Amen. Keep a watch on yourselves. He says it to these elders in Ephesus. Remember, Timothy was a pastor where? In Ephesus. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. What we teach, how we preach, and on yourself. And he said to all the flock. And to all the flock. So we daily need to guard ourselves, amen, and one another. Great testimony to this church, by the way, which I'm going to use as an illustration in the sermon this morning. Great testimony of this church that someone clearly recognizes when they come and they visit this church. Testimony about you all, which is rich. It's very encouraging to me, and it should be encouraging to you. But you're going to have to wait, so... So don't go home after Sunday school. All right, I run out of time here. So he he talks about the flock. Okay, we, we, we know sheep can look cute and cuddly, amen. 
You ever see a, a sheep that's all cleaned up and in the wintertime where they can't get that muddy? Places where they look over sheep, and they look so warm and, and comfortable, and, um, you know, they're beautiful to look at, but they can be super stubborn, amen? Sheep can be very stubborn, um, never content with the field that the shepherd places them in, right? The shepherd comes and puts them in the field, and that's their field. Well, they're not content in that field. They're always wanting to go to another field. <laughs> it's true. That's why he calls us sheep. Well, yeah, it's a great church. Yes, this is a great church. The, pre- the truth is preached there, but. Right now, when, when doctrine gets quirky and guys are getting weird, unless they straighten out and you confirm, then you need to go. Because you can get really weird, and some guys get weird. <laughs> but these sheep aren't content in the field. Some sheep are disagreeable sheep, right? There's just some that are just, I don't care what you're doing, you, you have to argue. They have to argue. If there's nothing to argue about, they'll create something to argue about. But we minister to them. That's Paul's point. Even so, we continue to minister, as challenging as it may be. So watch over yourselves, he says to these elders, and over, to the, and over the flock. Watch over them. Sometimes it needs to be stern. Sometimes, you know, with, with compassion and gentleness and all that, it needs to be balanced. Paul says, look, it's a hard job. It's a hard job, but it's a very noble task. Watch yourselves, watch the flock. Paul says, I gave my life blood. He says, you're going to have to give your life blood. Exhaust yourselves for the kingdom work. Not to be in control, he said, but to shepherd. That's what he's saying, but to shepherd. Stewards, guardians, feeders, all of whom are saved by grace. New creatures in Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. Useful members. Make them useful members. Because we don't want the church just to show up. Amen? May we not be a people who just show up. But they're an engaged people of God. And this is his encouragement to the men for whom he'll never see until heaven. To continue on with the work that he established. So verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown up, and I'm, I'm sorry, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him, being sorrow, sorrowful mostly, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul said this, look, I stood, I fought, I fought against false teachers, against hostile unbelief. 
And here now their hero of the faith is leaving. The torch was passed on to them. Faithful men. Remember what he said in 2 Timothy? He said to Timothy, I do not cease to remind you of these things. You know, take these, teach these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. So he built these men up. He gives them the charge. And there wasn't a dry eye on the dock, if indeed they were at a dock, or on the shore, or wherever they were, they were all weeping as he was about to depart. He poured his life into them. They recognized it. They knew they had a, a very heavy responsibility before them. And now they must go back and do what Paul taught them to do. And then, chapter 21, he set sail. He came by straight course to Kos, and then the next day to Rhodes. And then we'll pick up there next time amen comments in the next two minutes acts is great isn't it insight comment anybody brian Oh, like the false teachers? Yeah. Brian said, when he said, you know, fierce wolves will arise from among you, he's wondering if any one of them thought, perhaps, as the disciples said, is it me? You know, is it I? Is it I? We don't know. But uh, it ought to make you think. It ought to make you think. And I'm sure it made them think. They might have been on the outskirts. They might not have been part of this group, but they were always there in his face. Were they not? They were always behind the scenes. I mean, we see it in Paul's conclusion as we're going to look a little bit more today in his concluding points in his letter to the church in Rome. And what was one of the warnings? Look out. Be on the lookout for those who cause division, those who come in with smooth talk and flattery. Because it always leads to another gospel. It's another gospel. Some quirky, weird doctrine. Yes, sister. Yeah, that's a great point. The comment is on uh, the latter rebuke in, in, in the years to come, um, where the Lord rebukes the church in Ephesus, uh, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was it? You have left your first love. You left your first love. And when you lose a love for the church, you can say, well, it's a, their love for Christ. Well, when you lose the love for the bride, for the church itself, you've already lost your love for Christ, your love for him. His love is unending. But, but that's a pretty stern rebuke. And that's why so much emphasis is given in the New Testament about loving one another. It's easy to neglect. I know your works, so he builds them up. We'll, I have to close with this. 
He builds them up. He says, look, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, which means false apostles showed up. (laughs) And you found them to be false. How? By examining them, by examining what they say and what they do or don't do. I know you are enduring patiently in bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Okay, so they love sound doctrine. That's great. You can love sound doctrine and be a loveless church, right? But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. So, great point. May we be on the lookout, amen? That We don't ever receive that kind of rebuke. Lord, we do thank you for the time. We thank you for the testimony of your apostle, the apostle Paul, and what it means and what it meant for the church then, what it means for us today um, in the lines of redemptive history and how thankful we are for the uh, endurance that you provided that man, the wisdom, and uh, his faithfulness to the call. Lord, we thank you for it all. And uh, may we persevere um, in the light of the path that uh, you established for him and that he led by example for us. May we do so, Lord, according to your grace, by the power of the Spirit, never in our own strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.